0: And so today, thinking about great cities, our question of the day is this, why Bethlehem? Have you ever thought that? Think about it, where would would a great global leader be born? New York, Washington, uh, Rome, Paris, think of all the great cities, London, and you think, Bethlehem? Has anyone ever wondered why Bethlehem? No one's going to admit that. Okay, that's fine. I'll admit it. But we, you know, we sing the songs, we read the story, and as people of faith, we go, okay, it's Bethlehem. But today, what I hope is that we can study God's word together and we can see that Bethlehem was more than just the Bucky's road stop on the way to grandma's house. I remember the first time I saw this thing called Bucky's. I had heard of it. I had heard tell. I had seen advertisements of it. But I remember the first time I laid hands on it. And I walked in there and I thought, America. America. And then when they built one within 15 minutes of my home, I don't need 7-Eleven no more. Pfft, you're dead to me. Uh, watch your mouth. I, I mean... Anytime, any day, all I need to know is where are they digging the holes to put all that money in every day? Because they're just raking it in there. But why Bethlehem? My bride and I have had the privilege of going to Bethlehem. And even even today, Bethlehem is not all that impressive. But today we're going to talk about why our Savior... Was born in Bethlehem. So let's get started on that. Our focus passage you'll find in the Old Testament, and it's the prophet Micah, is chapter five, verse two, and it says this: "As for you, Bethlehem, Ephra, seemingly insignificant among the clans of Judah, from you a king will emerge who will rule over Israel on my behalf. Ones whose origins are in the distance in distant past." Seemingly insignificant. Why would Micah say this? And why is that important to us? Well, let's begin. So I I want us to orientate ourselves. So I want you to know every time you look at a map of the Middle East and you look at the map of the Holy Land, you always orientate yourself to Jerusalem. And I apologize, this map isn't quite as big. Jerusalem is down here in the bottom left corner. You always find Jerusalem, and then you can find everything else in the Holy Land. Well, way up to the north there in Samaria is a place called Nazareth. And we know that what? That's where Jesus was raised, Jesus of Nazareth. But at the time that Mary was great with child, I love that. You know, you can, you can say that, you know, you, you see a, a lady and, and she's great with child, and everyone giggles because it's, it's kind of a whimsical But when Mary was great with child, they had to travel to Bethlehem. And you find Bethlehem down here, just below Jerusalem, just to the south, southeast of Jerusalem. It's not far. God selected Bethlehem as the birthplace of Jesus. So why Bethlehem? Because that's what God chose. And I could stop here, but as you know, I get paid by the hour. So I won't. To understand why and the significance of this place, it will help us to know that the city Bethlehem is mentioned 35 times in 11 different books of the Old Testament that span over 1,300 years. Bethlehem isn't this spur of the moment. It's the truck stop on the way type place. Bethlehem is a historical place that is mentioned in God's word significantly over a significant period of time. It's not a Johnny-come-lately place. So let's look. God has a will and a purpose that can be, can be clearly seen in his selection of Bethlehem as the birthplace for the Lord. Through his plan, we can see the significance of the location as well as the prophetic application uh, the, uh, to the Old Testament verses dealing with symbolism and historical importance. God has a plan, God has a purpose, and I hope that you'll understand it a little bit better today. Let's look at the historicity. I like that word. I like saying historicity, the historicity of Bethlehem. Bethlehem uh, was prepared historically to receive the Savior. Bethlehem was known as a place of sorrow. So it goes all the way back originally to a couple named Jacob and Rachel. Now, Jacob was a young man, and he saw Rachel, and he fell in love. Can we agree that love will make you do stupid things? Can we? Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, One person once told me love is deaf, dumb, and blind. And I said, well, we're going to add one on. Love will make you do a lot of things. Well, in Genesis chapter 35, we see the story of this young man who was in love with this young lady. And eventually, they were able to marry. Let's look at verse uh, Genesis 35. They had married, and Rachel was expecting a child. And they were traveling. And let's see how this account goes. They traveled from Bethel, and when Ephra was still some distance away, so there's Bethlehem and Ephra, some would say that's an alternative name for Bethlehem. Some would say Ephra is the the, the region around Bethlehem, but it's it's that place. Was still a distance away, Rachel went into labor, and her labor was hard. Verse 17, when her labor was at its hardest, the midwife said to her, do not be afraid for you are having another son. With her dying breath, she named her son Benoni, but his father called him Benjamin instead. So Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephra. Jacob set up a marker over her grave. It is a marker of Rachel's grave even to this day, and this is... This is it. If you have a chance to go to the Holy Land, you can visit the grave of Jacob's wife, Rachel. Now, it was prepared historically. It was known as a place of sorrow. And part of the story that I didn't tell you yet was this. Jacob, when he fell in love with Rachel, negotiated with her dad for her hand in marriage. And her dad says, I'll give you her hand in marriage after you serve me for seven years. Now, I'm not going to ask who that would be a deal breaker for, because I don't want you to have to answer for that later. But seven years of labor to get the hand of the woman that he loves. And then when it comes wedding time, guess what? The old switcheroo. Dad gave her sister to him, not her. Now, the question is, is what does he do? He negotiates for another seven years. And so he labored 14 years to marry Rachel. And then, in the course of the delivery of their son, Benoni, she passes away. So that would be a sorrowful thing, but also consider this: Benoni, translated, says this, son of my sorrow. The son of my sorrow. But the story continues. Eleven hundred years after Rachel's death, the prophet Jeremiah has something to say. Eleven hundred years. Say eleven hundred years. That's a long time. That's almost as long as it's been since the Cowboys win a Super Bowl. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. Listen, I am gonna get some participation no matter what it takes. Eleven hundred years after Rachel's passing. And the sorrow of her husband and the naming of her son. The prophet says this, thus says the Lord, a voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted for her children because they are no more. Now, I can't completely explain to you what the meaning of this prophecy was in its time. You have to understand that in its context, there was a meaning to the original audience. You and I have the privilege of looking back through history to see at least a part of what the prophet was saying. You say, this doesn't really make sense to the people there. It would have had some mystery to it. But I want you to know for us as we look back, it's going to make perfect sense. If you recall in the story of Jesus... There was a man in charge by the name of Herod, Herod the Great. He wasn't great, but that's what he called himself. Herod had been told that the king of the Jews had been born in part by three wise men that had come seeking to worship this newborn king. And they came by Herod the Great, and Herod the Great said, when you find him, Tell me where to find him. So I too can come and worship. So the three wise men went off. And the scripture says that when they located Jesus. They worshipped him. And they gave him uh, gifts. And uh, the they were prompted. They felt led. They went home a different way. They didn't go back to King Herod. They went a different way. Why would they go a different way? Well. In part because they believe that Herod didn't have good intentions. And why is that? Uh, Oh, that's later on. I'm sorry, I got ahead of myself. Centuries later, Jesus was referred to as a man of sorrow. Why would Jesus be referred to as a man of sorrow? Well, let me tell you this. If you had to leave heaven and come to earth, even if it is Texas, you're going to be sorry. Secondly, because of the pain and sorrows that occur in day-to-day life. I was asked earlier, how, do you, how are you doing today? I said, I feel like the 10 man who's lost his oil can. Now, for some of you, you're going to have to go Google and figure out what that means. That's like the prophet. You're like, I, what is this prophet even saying? But if you live long enough, you're going to have day-to-day. Eh, it just, you know, eh. See, no one up there is doing it. See, all of them, they don't have any idea. Chuck does. Chuck knows. Yeah, he already told me today he's already turning older because he likes to wake up earlier and get the day started. I said, welcome, welcome, sir. (laughs) Thirdly, the pain and sorrow of the crucifixion. Can you imagine what that must have been like? And I could go on, but I won't. Bethlehem is also a place of salvation. If you read the book of Ruth, and I highly encourage you to do it, we see that God intervenes on behalf of a woman named Naomi and her family. In a time of famine, they were widows. It was a tough time for them. It was a a desperate time for them. But God intervenes on their behalf. In part, why? Because he loves them. But also in part is this, is that through Naomi's family, we will see that her great-great-grandson, David, The future king of Israel is born. God intervened on behalf of Naomi because out of Naomi came David, King David, the giant slayer. The man who is a hero and a zero, depending on what day of the week it is. In Ruth, it says this, all the people who were at the gate and the elders replied, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the women who are entering in your home like Rachel and Leah. There's Rachel. May these ladies be like Rachel both of whom built up the house of Israel. May you prosper uh, in Ephra and become famous in Bethlehem. These same women are being referred to Rachel, remember all these years earlier, and may you be blessed and may you be influential in this place. May you become historically important. Bethlehem is mentioned seven times in the book of Ruth. And we see other words like redeem, redemption, and kinsman-redeemer 19 different times in this small book. You're seeing a theme in this small area about uh, this this city. Bethlehem was a place of selection. In the book of 1 Samuel, we see something that takes place that, that will be familiar with you. 1 Samuel 17 Now David was the son of an Ephraite named Jesse from Bethlehem in Judea. He had eight sons, and in Saul's day he was old and well advanced in years. So Samuel was tasked with anointing a new king. And David was the youngest, and David was out taking care of the sheep. But David would be anointed king. And so out of this small place, from his father, he would be anointed king. Out of this postage stamp of a city, in a great big wide world, Bethlehem was a place of selection. Little Bethlehem provided Israel with its most enduring hero. When you think of the Bible, when you think of heroes, almost everyone will think of David. David and Goliath and other things. David was the first King chosen by the Lord. Bethlehem became known as, and it still is, the city of David. Jesus is called the son of David. So again, we see this connection. Why Bethlehem? The one thread that connects all of these people and all of this history is this city called Bethlehem. So I also want to have a little fun. You want to have some fun? Yeah, a little bit. Okay. So I'm going to give you some random Christmas trivia. So we're going to have a little fun. So here we go. Here's your trivia for the day. I stole this from Josh. Josh, don't fish fight, fist fight me. Because Josh does this on Wednesday nights. In 1865, Philip Brooks, an Episcopal preacher, attended a five-hour Christmas service. Five hours. Say five hours. Five hours. I could go five hours. So you say. Five hour Christmas Eve service. Mm. He had traveled by horseback from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. That would be a pretty decent little ride on horseback. And he went to the church of the nativity. This is the church that's built over the historical site where Jesus was born. And he listened to the Christmas celebration. Every Christmas song associated with the sacred moment was presented. As as he heard again the splendid hymns of God, he fell in love anew with the wonderful night of our Savior's birth. I hope that you will work very hard on Christmas Eve to just take a breath and drink deep into what that moment in all of human history must have been like. Three years later, he decided he was going to write a hymn for children of his congregation to sing. And as he began to reflect on the glorious service that night at the Church of Nativity, he penned the words of, O Little Town of Bethlehem. So there's your history, right? Now, I won't leave you until I give you this. Do you know what you call someone who knows every Christmas song? Chuck, do you know? Lame? Lame? That's what Chuck said. I'll say, Josh. no. No. A Noel at all. That's <laughs> All right. Let's get Man, I'd, I would hate for that to be the peak. <laughs> oh, yeah. That sermon, it was awesome. Do you remember that joke about Noel, Noel at all? Why Bethlehem? Let's look at the symbolism quickly. Bethlehem means the house of bread. We find that in John the sixth chapter. I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. If anyone eats from this bread, he will live forever. The bread that I give him for, uh, will give for the life of this world is my flesh. A, a foreshadowing of his uh, crucifixion. The house of bread brings forth the bread of life. The house of bread births the bread of life. Well, it's, it's glorious. The ba- uh, and then about Ephra, well, what does that mean? Well, Ephra means fruitfulness. Jeff, baby, this is confirmation of your study. To, to a spiritually hungry world, thirsting, the bread of life comes and teaches us to be fruitful in him. John tells us this, my father is honored by this, that you bear much fruit And show that you are my disciples. He goes on and he says this. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear much fruit that remains so that whatever you ask from the Father uh, in my name will be given to you. The bread of life calls us to be fruitful in our love and service to him. And I just want to encourage you during this time and all that Christmas is be sure you're producing spiritual fruit. People are looking for the fruit of the Spirit especially from believers. It's a beautiful time. It's a busy time. It is a crazy time. But if we fail to produce the fruit of the Spirit that others may see it and share in it We've truly missed a great deal of what Christmas should be for us. So, lastly, why Bethlehem prophetically? Micah wrote his prophecy in 72 BC, 722 BC, at least 600 years before Jesus was born. 600 years before Jesus was born. When Herod gathered his, you remember Herod the not-so-great? Oh, that's t-shirt worthy. Herod the not-so-great, when he was trying to determine where this Messiah was born, where the king of the Jews was being born, he gathered together his wise men, the Jewish minds and teachers and stewards of knowledge, and this is what they read, Micah was what they read, After assembling the chief priests and the experts in the law, he asked them, Where is Christ to be born? Bethlehem of Judea, they said, for it was written this way by the prophet. Which prophet? Micah. They quoted the 600 year previous prophet as the authority to where the Messiah would be born. They didn't blow it off either. No. Now, some people would have and maybe still do believe that the Jews just made up the story. So have you ever been in an axe throwing contest or, or a, a bow and arrow? It, it'd be like this is you shoot the arrow and then you go up and draw the bow's around it. Now, there would be those and there probably still are those who simply say this. The Jews just made it up. Because it made for a good story. What is it that comes out of uh, Hollywood? uh, This film is based on historical events. Not historical fact, but historical events. As we see them and interpret them. Is Bethlehem truly the birthplace of Jesus? Well, Micah said it would be. The spiritual mind's in the time of Herod the Not-So-Great said it was, the three wise men traveled a great distance, probably years, to visit this place. But it could be just a good lie. Could be. But Luke, the historian, says that the Holy Family went down to Bethlehem when before Jesus was born. This is our Christmas story. So Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in the north to, uh, in Galilee to Judea, the city of David called Bethlehem, because he was of the house of David, the line of David. He went to register with Mary, who was promised in marriage to him, and she was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver the child. Now, this just came to my mind. It won't cost you anything extra. But it is a reasonable assumption that Mary and Joseph would have been familiar with the story of Jacob and Rachel. And now, all these years later, here's another mother coming to this city. And it comes time to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in strips of cloth. Laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Micah said, Bethlehem was the place. The spiritual advisors to the Herod not so great said it was the place. The angel said that a savior had been born in the city of David. Today, your savior is born in the city of David. He is Christ the Lord. When the angels left them, they went back to heaven. The shepherds said one to another, let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place that the Lord has made known to us. Micah said it. The spiritual leader said it. The the three kings said it. Now the angels have said it. The Bible says it. History says it. Micah's prophecy says it. So let's consider this. This is my closing argument to you. If you had any doubt. When Micah's prophecy was made, some 722 years before the birth of Jesus, humanity only knew of three continents. They only, they only knew there were three continents. Today, we, how many continents do we have now? Seven? Is it seven? Seven? Okay, I was thinking five, but I'm not. Anyway, they only knew of three, Europe, Asia, and Africa. So he had a one in three shot at getting it right. That's pretty good. People go to Vegas for far less. (laughs) Micah chose Asia, but Asia has many countries. But Micah only mentions one country a small coastal country known as Palestine. But in Palestine, there are three districts, Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. So which one did he choose? He chose Judea. Well, in Judea, there's thousands of villages. Yet he picked Bethlehem. The prophet reached down through 600 years of geography, humanity, and human events and put his finger on an obscure, tiny village called Bethlehem and said, In this town, the Savior of the world will be born. Now, they could be lying. Could be. They're not, but you know. So I propose to you this. Jesus' being born in Bethlehem is either A, a mathematical miracle. I mean, what are the mathematical odds of picking the place? 600 years before the event. My friends, if you could figure that out, then I encourage you, buy your lottery ticket today. Or it's either a lie supported for the sake of, you know, Jewish whatever. It's a mathematical miracle or it's a prophetic promise fulfilled. Now humanity has to choose. I don't believe it's a lie because you know how you keep a lie? Is you don't tell nobody. And the Bible says this, that lies don't hide in the dark forever. A mathematical miracle? I'm sorry. There's just some things that math and science simply can't explain. So I'm left with the most reasonable, the most logical... And the most comforting choice of all, that God fulfilled his prophetic promise. That out of this humble village, the king of kings and the Lord of lords would be born. My bride and I have had the privilege of going there. And when you get down to the place that they have designated to be that place... you feel really small to think that eternity changed on that spot why because if it weren't for that spot and if it weren't for that cradle and if it weren't for that savior we would be a hopeless world truly but God so loved so why Bethlehem Because God chose it, but God also has borne tremendous evidence and support, both prophetically, historically, that this is that place. It's a beautiful thing, this little town of Bethlehem. And I hope that as you go through the rest of your Christmas season and you hear that song, you'll realize it's not just a name. It's not just a tradition. It's a location and a destination which God ordained from time and eternity past. And he promised through a prophet of some 700 years before Jesus even arrived on the scene. And that the little town of Bethlehem Was the beginning of the earthly love letter from God to His creation. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this little town of Bethlehem. Lord, even today, in the midst of the world's economy and the world's mindset, it's a far off little place. Tucked away amongst people who are struggling. But Father, you say it's more. Father, it was where you stepped in to humanity. Father, it's where you proved that your love for us that was greater than your son's comfort. Where you proved that your love for us was greater than your son's human life. Father, we thank you for this simple place. Father, I ask that you would remind us, beginning with myself, of the simple profoundness of Bethlehem. Where God draped himself in humanity. That humanity might be redeemed. Father, we pray that This little town of Bethlehem will never just be a name and a song again. But it was a place of purpose, a place of provision, a place of promise. And as the benefactors of those things, then it would be our place of peace. Father, we love you and we thank you so much for that first Noel in that little town of Bethlehem for a Savior who's changed everything. Father, help us to live fruitful lives during this wonderful time of year that people might better understand, might seek to know better the fruit of the holidays, the fruit of Christmas, the babe of Bethlehem. For it's in his name we pray. It is for your glory we ask. Amen and amen.